This has been an interesting week for me. Uh, I ended up getting ill and, uh, and lost most of the week. But it was a difficult week for, for other reasons as well, because, as some of you know, I have strong links into Israel and the occupied territories. And, um, you know, I've had contact with friends who have lost people that they knew on both sides of those divides. And not just people, they've known children who have died on both sides of those divides. And although there are many conflicts in the world, we don't often get such a close, or certainly I don't often get such a close-hand experience of feeling the pain of that conflict. And um, as I've reflected on the conflict and, and what's been going on there, I, I, I kind of recognize a, a really dangerous asymmetry that seems to be developing in our nations, particularly amongst our politicians and our media and other things, which, which really says that the deaths of innocent civilians, the deaths of women and children and non-combatants is acceptable in some situations, depending upon the label under which those deaths occur. And there's this asymmetry. If it occurs under a label of our own national interests or our allies, then somehow that is deemed acceptable. But if it's carried out through some other label, it's unacceptable. And I think as Christians, it is incumbent upon us to be unequivocal in this, that the death of innocents, whether whatever their ethnicity, whatever the color of their skin, whatever their age, is unacceptable under any circumstance. There is no room for collateral damage and an asymmetrical morality when it comes to the voice of God's people. And we should be unequivocal as a nation because if we are not, we fail to provide moral leadership in a world that is desperately crying out for moral example. So, with that said, let's turn to our subject this morning in 1 Peter, which is about being a transforming presence. You know, I believe fundamentally that Christians have to make a difference. And, and this morning, you might be thinking, and even in terms of the comment I've just made, that you might be thinking... You know, how do Christians make a difference? Our voice is so marginal. We're barely heard these days. How do we make a difference? And how do we bring transformation into this world? You know, I believe fundamentally that as a church and as a church community, we're called not just to keep the lights on. You know, sometimes there, there's a tendency in... I, I was reading this week in another article of, of, of the, the issues that the decline of Christianity in Britain has generated. And, and sometimes when you see things contracting, the, the, the tendency is to become defensive and you just want to try and keep the church going. And the church should never be about the church 
The church should never be about sustaining itself and perpetuating itself as an entity, as an end in and of itself. The church is called to be missional, transformational. And unless we are a community of people that is bringing about that transformation in our world, then we're missing out on God's calling to us as his people. The church must be missional. And we must evaluate our success or failure. Not whether a church is full or not, but whether it's making a difference in the lives of the individual's around us. And again, in order for this to happen, we need to think differently about the church. You know, at the beginning of this year, we talked a lot about the idea of reforming or recreating the church. And, and I think, you know, that, that still has to be our ambition. That still has to be our goal to see the church rebirthed out of all that we've gone through over the last few years as a much more missional entity. Because the need is desperate. We no longer can afford to sit back and be complacent. Maybe we couldn't five years ago either, but now much more so. The church must become militant. The church must become a radical force for transformation. And when I say the church, I mean you and me. We cannot just be complacent and sit where we are, happy and content with coming to church on Sunday morning and ticking a box. We are called to be something different. And, and as a community of God's people, we need to recommit ourselves or maybe commit ourselves in a radical way to being a missional church that moves towards a missional model and understanding of what the community of God's people is about. And as we think about this, and over the next five weeks, we're going to explore what this means, particularly in terms of our areas of influence, I want us to, to think about what Peter has to say here in the letter that he's writing. As he opens up this letter... Peter introduces us to three really key words. He talks about election, being exiles, and about being scattered. And I, I want to think about some of these concepts in this introduction that Peter brings. He talks about scattered. And uh, the um, churches that he's addressing are all found in, in the western part of modern-day Turkey, uh, as, as he kind of goes through these groups and mentions them. And they had been facing a time of persecution that had been difficult and had been hard. And, and, and I'm sure they felt scattered. They felt kind of isolated, maybe. And, uh, and Peter wants to write to them and, and give them a sense of their mission as they are scattered. If, if you actually think about it, the church is a body of people living a rhythm of gathering and scattering. Usually we gather on a Sunday and we scatter for the rest of the week. The, uh, 
the London Institute who were using their materials and our Bible studies and things. And I'd encourage you to get along and, and be part of a small group as we unpack some of these ideas in the small groups. Provides us with these, this model, adult models. Can we go to the next slide? Which looks like this. It kind of says that, you know, on a Sunday, they, they, they note that there are about 6% of the population of the UK that attends church once a month or so. And, and uh, the, 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 they kind of use dots and show the box on the left, or, yeah, on your left, uh, as kind of the gathered church, which is what we're like this morning. And, and then what the church looks like through the rest of the week where we're kind of scattered and we're, we're, we're distributed throughout society. Now, when you think about 6%, it's not insignificant, but it's not particularly substantial either. And as you look at these models, you think, how can Christianity make a difference? How can Christianity really bring about the transformation that we're speaking about this morning. And maybe the people that Paul was writing to in Turkey were, were kind of thinking the same thing. Most of these were small groups who were being subject to, to various kinds of persecution. And they were probably thinking, how on earth can this small, insignificant group of people, and you've got to remember, they haven't got church history behind them. They haven't got two and a half billion people subscribing to the faith. It's a small, marginal faith group. And they're sitting thinking, how do we transform the world? And, and Peter says to them, I want you to know that you are elect. And, and, and by using that word elect, Peter is connecting the purpose of God's people, the purpose of the Christian community, to the Old Testament and the promises of God that were made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's connecting them in to the promise that the descendants of Abraham would become a multiple that would be spread throughout the world and that multiple would become a blessing to the whole world. Peter understood that the Christian church hadn't displaced the promise of the covenant to Abraham, but had become part of that covenant to Abraham. They were now incorporated into that promise, into that promise that we read that was given to Jacob that your descendants will outnumber the stars of the sky and they will be a blessing to the world around them. We are part of that promise. You know, as you look around you, that promise that was given to Jacob as he slept on that hillside in Bethel was the promise that the people of God, you and me, the descendants, would become a blessing to the world around us. You see, when we surrender our lives to Jesus and his lordship, we become part of this called people of God. 
we become part of that mission. We become part of that mission to bless the world around us. And, and Peter wants them to understand. And do you know what? Whether you're successful at transformation or not, whether you think you're going to be very good at it or not, it doesn't matter. It's what you're called to do. You're blessed to be a blessing. You know, if we were Pentecostalists, I would get you all to turn to one another and say that. You're blessed to be a blessing. That's what we're called to be. And, and as we come together as God's people on a Sunday, we remind ourselves of this. We remind ourselves of the calling of God that is there. We remind ourselves of that mission. Blessed to be a blessing. When we gather as worshipers, we remind ourselves that we believe a very particular story about the world. We believe it is God's. He created it. We believe it is broken because of sin. We believe that Jesus' death makes new life possible. We believe that one day everything will be transformed. And so we live as people with a distinct story in a culture that may not believe any of it, but we're called to live it. And as we come together, we're called to work this out and remind ourselves of that calling of God. The second word that Paul then, uh, Paul Peter uses is he uses the word exiles. So you're elect, but you're exiles. And, and, and when he talks about exiles, again, he's referring back to the Old Testament. And he's thinking of the imagery of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. In 560 BCE, there came a terrible situation for the Judean people. As Jerusalem was surrounded by Babylonian armies, and they were subject to siege which led eventually to the destruction and the annihilation of Jerusalem and the temple. And, and this event was such a trauma for the people because it led to them being displaced from their land and being distributed into other nations, particularly what is today modern-day Iran and Iraq. And, and, and there they lived, surrounded by foreign gods in a foreign land. And, 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 and when you're in a place like that, it's easy to feel sorry for yourself. You know, it's easy to feel, oh my, life's hard. Everyone's against me. You know, what's the point? And into that situation, Jeremiah 29 shows us that God told the exiles to be a blessing where they were, you know, to be a blessing. And although you might be in a hostile environment, although you might be the only Christian at home or where you work or in the class you attend, God doesn't want you to fade into the background. He wants you to be an influence in that place. And so during the week when we're scattered 
into the different places that we are sent. God wants us to radiate and shine the light of Christ into the places that we find ourselves. Now again, if you look at this box diagram, it, it just shows you what those six dots do when they light up. Suddenly, the squares around them start to get influenced by the people that they're connected to. And I don't know if you, you can see the, the subtleties of the shade on that slide, but suddenly that square is transformed. You see, if we refuse to merge into the background, if we refuse to actually sit there and say we're now going to uh, customize ourselves or accustom ourselves to this place of exile. And we say, no, we are exiles. We're different from this place. We are distinct in terms of this place. And we want to be an influence for good in terms of this place. If we light up, our influence begins to permeate the world around us. You see, so as God's people called and exiled, we can begin to make a difference. We can begin to bring about transformation. The LICC, whose material we're using, talks about this as being on the front lines. By using that imagery or metaphor, they're kind of comparing it to being in, in a conflict scenario where you have a conflict between light and darkness, where the light that we carry is in conflict with the darkness around us. And um, they, they, they're saying that the conflict occurs in all those places that we go to when we leave here. You know, where we live, where we work, where we study, wherever we're likely to connect with people who aren't Christians. Workplaces, classrooms, hospital wards, offices, society, our front rooms. These are the front lines where we're called to be that light in relation to the darkness, where we're called to be a transformative presence in the midst of a world that is desperately crying out for transformation. You know, it looks like Glenda in her hydrotherapy pool. It looks like Bill with the dog walkers. It looks like Sylvia on the checkout in Asda. It looks like John and Judy with their foster kids. It looks like Wham in the bank. It looks like Stephen with his startup business. It looks like Jess as a local counselor. As God's people scatter and radiate the light and presence of God in the areas where they connect with others, we see the transformative presence of God at work. You might be sitting there thinking, how's that going to happen? Really? You know, it's hard. <laughs> you don't know my family. 
You don't know where I work or with who I work with. You don't know the people I play golf with or want my dog with. You don't know my grandchildren. You don't know them. But you know in those tough situations, that's where we're called to make the difference. And yeah, it is like a conflict. It's tough. It's hard. But it's our mission. And Peter, as he challenges, just in those opening lines, the Christians in Asia Minor, he reminds them of this single truth that what is happening and what will happen through them will not happen because of their own resources. It will happen because of the work of the triune God. And uh, in verse 2, he provides us with a, a really overt Trinitarian formula. He talks about the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedience of Jesus Christ, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. He talks about the work of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through you in your context. How, how does this look? What is the work of this Trinitarian God through us look like? Well, he talks about God's foreknowledge. And, and, and although he's, again, back to a theology of election that he's talking about, he's also affirming the fact that God knows. Uh, the, the, Paul in the letter to the Ephesians talks about before the foundation of the earth, God foreknew. God isn't surprised by anything that's happening. God knows. God knew the situations that you would be facing. God knows if maybe you're confronted with the possibility of redundancy. God knows if you're confronting an illness that has suddenly creeped up on you and your family. God knows if you're experiencing a loss. God knows if you're feeling overwhelmed by the circumstances that you now find yourself in. God knows and God cares. And he doesn't dissociate the two. And so God knows about your situation. We're then told that we are set apart by the work of the Spirit. You see, God's Spirit is at work within you. And if you have faith in Christ, then that faith is expressed by the reception of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who now lives in us and works through us. And, and what does the Spirit do? The Spirit sets us apart. In, in a way, the Spirit of God doesn't let us rest easy with the culture around us. The Spirit of God doesn't let us rest easy with the things that are going on. I, I was watching a, a TV program uh, while I was feeling ill, and uh, you know, as I was watching it, there was a scene that just came on the television, and, and, and I found it so abhorrent, it, it, it kind of, I, I just couldn't watch anymore. I had to switch the TV off. It's been a wee while since I had to do that. And, 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 and you know, and as I thought about it, 
I'm thinking that's the reaction of the Spirit of God, which says, you know what? We are never going to accommodate to these values and to these ideas because we are sanctified by the Spirit of God who calls us to be distinctive and not lose our transformative potential by acquiescing with the values and the realities around us. We are called to be different. And the Spirit of God does that. And then lastly, we are obedient to the death of Christ on the cross. I think as Paul says this, as Peter says this, sorry. As Peter says this, he's saying, you know, the death of Jesus isn't just about, oh, I'm saved now. The death of Jesus requires a response of obedience. In other words, when we respond to Jesus and his cross, it requires that we do something. We can't just say, oh, that's nice. I've signed the sinner's prayer, and now I'm a Christian, and I can go home and sit, and I'm saved, and it's great. Peter is saying, when you accept Jesus as your Lord, it requires obedience. It requires response. It requires engagement. And so Peter is reminding those he's speaking to that God the Father knows your situation. The Spirit of God is at work bringing the light of God into the darkness. And the death of Christ is compelling you to go and be that influence. And he finishes by saying, so may the grace and peace be yours in abundance. Those words grace, it's, it's the idea of, of God's in work and blessing in our lives. May that be filling every aspect and may God's peace, and the word peace means wholeness or healing. May the healing and wholeness of God May that grace and healing of wholeness be working through you into a broken world because you are elect and you're exiles and you're empowered by a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be the difference. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the challenge of Peter's words. I thank you for his vision of the church. I thank you that we are called to be that influence. Lord, help us not to become dulled in our faith. Help us not to become dulled in our witness. Help us not to merge into the cultural background, but help us, Lord, to be distinctive. Help us, Lord, to be your light. Lord, whether that's at home, whether that's with our friends, whether that's with the societies we're part of, whether that's where we work or study, Lord, help us to be that blessing because we are blessed. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.